Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Supporting Ukraine's ability to fight off Russian aggression to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity is a worldwide commitment. Putin's Russia is desperate. The proud and brave nation of Ukraine will prevail. I will look at a camera and directly tell Zelensky, you better leave your hands off of our sons and daughters because they're not dying over there. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. We're going from today all the way back to Burisma. Are you tired of winning? No, we want Trump back. Let's be honest. If you don't mind me saying so... I think vindication looks pretty good on me. <laughs> Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden dances soft shoe with the German chancellor. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as Olaf Scholz visits the White House with no news conference and no state dinner as the two discuss arming Ukraine and fending off the influence of China. We're joined by John Herbst, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now with the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. The chair of the SEC says he's open-minded when it comes to rewriting the trading rules for Wall Street. It's a big project we'll talk about with Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons coming up. And CPAC kicks into high gear. We're watching so you don't have to. With analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us for the hour on this Friday. To be a fly on the wall today as President Biden meets with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz following some tensions, if I can use that word, over arming Ukraine. Most recently, it was about tanks. And you might not have even known he was here. There was no news conference, no bilateral news conference with U.S. and foreign correspondents. There was no state dinner, no big welcome ceremony. This was all business. And we heard from the two leaders briefly. They did allow reporters into the Oval Office for a pool spray, as they call it. Some brief prepared remarks. Here's President Biden. Together we work lockstep to supply critical security assistance to Ukraine. And uh, from everything from what we've done in the lockstep, ammunition, artillery, armored tanks, air defense systems. A similar sentiment and tone uh, from the German chancellor. Listen. It's really important that we act together, that we organized our lockstep and that we made it feasible that we can give the necessary support to Ukraine. Okay, you can't even hear what there's something about lockstep, eye to eye, where there's unity here. Obviously, this is the point. Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, asked a bit earlier uh, about the meeting, and she really was driving home the point that these two people have a relationship. Here's Karine Jean-Pierre. All right, well, you can take it from me. That she talked about the fact that they're in touch, have been in touch since he became chancellor and talk frequently here. Uh, this is where we begin the conversation with the ambassador. John Herbst is with us, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now senior director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. Ambassador, it's great to have you. The, the, the story coming out of the White House today was before anything else. Don't make too much news, apparently, but also to project some unity and not let anything else interfere with that. Do these two see eye to eye when it comes to Ukraine or not? 
I think their views are are quite similar, though, although not identical. Okay, that's an efficient answer. Uh, is <laughs> have we made too much out of this being a strained relationship in the news media? We focused on tanks. We've focused uh, focused on. Uh, longer-range missile defense systems. There have been a lot of questions about okay. Germany's speed on this issue. Well, point of fact, I think that both Biden and Schultz have been too timid in dealing with the Putin threat to U.S. and German security, of course, mainly Ukraine security with this war. Uh, the, the, the items you just mentioned, longer-range missiles and rockets, mm-hmm. tanks, and for that matter, fighter planes are all things Ukraine needs to defeat the Russians on the battlefield in, in Ukraine. Both Biden and Schultz have been reluctant to provide these things. There was a little bit of a fuss about tanks in January. But by and large, neither Schultz nor Biden wanted to send tanks to Ukraine. Again, a failure because they're too timid in dealing with the Russian danger. And the reason why there were some differences that emerged publicly is that the Brits forced the issue by saying they were going to send tanks, the Poles also, and others in Europe. And that embarrassed, I would say, the White House and and the Chancery in Germany. And then the Biden administration, for the first time, began to push the Germans to send the Leopards. And the Germans still insisted they would only send Leopards if we sent our tanks, the Abrams. Yeah, right. So, those, that, so at that point in time, a difference emerged between the two. But both would have preferred not to send the tanks, which, again, would be a serious error. They're refuting that now. You know, Germany says we never had a mandate. You have to send Abrams tanks. But it was widely reported, uh, to your point, that that's exactly what happened. I guess now that the tanks are in place, though, is this a chance for these two to rebuild? Or, or is it not about that, Ambassador? Well, was there a relationship to begin with? The, the relationship, again, ha- has been um, fairly strong. Um, I think the Biden administration, as soon as they took power privilege the Germans at the expense of our own interests. We saw that on the Nord Stream 2 project, which despite multiple Russian violations Mm -hmm. of commitments that we said they needed to make, we allowed that project to proceed because the Germans wanted it. Only It only died after the Russians launched their big invasion. So we, we saw a privileging of the Germans by the administration, not always... To the, to the benefit of American interests. And I think that's continued since. But again, it's, it's continued in part because there's been a similar, similar overly timid approach in both Berlin and Washington, again, to Moscow's aggression yeah. in Ukraine. I think it's fascinating that you don't really draw a difference between the two. Uh, we, we heard well, from the White House. Is there? We're a little bit less timid. A little okay. bit less timid. Only okay. a little bit. Uh, not enough to you know to, to really make a point here. The, the White House said China was also on the agenda. They made that pretty clear ahead of the meeting. Is that the real reason why these two leaders had to get together in the same room? I think I think it was important for them to meet because Germany is a very important partner for the United States and Europe. We just shouldn't privilege them as much as the White House has. Yeah. China is is part of the problem because I mean China policy towards China is one where. The Germans are a good bit, a good bit behind the United States. Um, you have to credit Trump for really laying out the China danger, and Biden has bore, more or less followed the Trump lead, albeit a little bit with a little bit less toughness. Mm-hmm. And the Germans are way behind. But Biden, of course, has influence in Berlin ways that Trump did not, because Trump treated Merkel, Schultz's predecessor, with a certain amount of disregard, which mm-hmm. was a mistake. 
whereas Biden treats them with great, great respect. Um, and we've managed to move the Germans in the right direction in dealing with predatory Chinese practices, both economic and political. Well, how about with but regard to Ukraine, though, with reports that they may be considering providing, you know, suicide drones uh, to Russia, uh, which would clearly be used in Ukraine. This might be something I, I on the docket for these two to talk about. Maybe they well, know something, we, Ambassador. We, we need to prepare for this. And I credit the Biden administration for, you know, having intelligence um, reports on this possibility and then threatening, you know, warning the Chinese don't do it. I suspect the Chinese will not do it. If, in fact, they do it, I believe that it'll be very important for the United States and our allies and partners to put serious sanctions on the Chinese. I think the Chinese do not want to worsen relations with Washington by sending weapons to Russia. But we'll see. We should note on Thursday, uh, Schultz warned China not to arm Russia ahead of this meeting, expressing disappointment that Beijing was no longer willing to join in a, quote, clear condemnation of the Russian attack, unquote. We certainly saw that this week in the G20 meeting, Ambassador. How much Correct. of a problem is that? Look, I, I, I mean, I welcome that statement. It's good that the Germans are, are taking a firmer line with the Chinese. And again, I would credit the White House with helping move the Germans in that direction. Yeah. Glad you could come talk to us. John Herbst, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Thank you, sir, for being with us. He's now with the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. In fact, he is senior director. I want to get back to what we heard from Karine Jean-Pierre today as we prepare to assemble the panel. Here's the press secretary at the White House talking about Biden, Schultz. They first met uh, when he became German chancellor um, early last year, I believe on February 7th, uh, so soon after he t clearly took office and they met here at the White House. And over the past uh, past several years, they've seen each other at the margins of the G7, uh, in uh, the summit in, in Germany, at, at NATO, at the G20 summit, and have talked by phone regularly. And so this is a clearly a relationship that has been uh, that has been growing over the last year. They're bosom bodies. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano join us. I'm happy to say on a Friday here on Bloomberg Sound On, Bloomberg Politics contributors in our signature panel. What do you think, Rick? What's the significance of this meeting today? And was it smart to have no news conference, no real public face to this event at all? Well, I definitely take it that it is a working visit in the sense yep. that they don't really have an intention of making a big public harangue about it, but are have things to talk about. And I think we've heard, you know, from Ambassador Herps about like some of those topics are very important to the ongoing uh, presence of the war in Ukraine. So uh, it makes all sense to 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 have that kind of a session and to, to follow up on the NATO conferences from last week and, mm -hmm. and the visit. But um, I would say it is a little insulting. Uh, that the uh, Chancellor Schultz doesn't get a better reception from the Americans. Uh, you think? You know, uh, it's no fancy dinner, no big yeah. press conference, uh, no bands. Um, <laughs> you know, here's a couple of candy bars and a good night. Uh, that's about all the guy's getting on this trip. So uh, hopefully uh, that plays back home for him uh yeah. and uh and and that maybe that's part of the dynamic of german politics to go here and work and not to play but uh, uh it, it it does seem to be productive and uh hopefully they can get on the same script they certainly said they're on the same script but i agree with ambassador herps i think that script needs to be more aggressive yeah well, well okay and that's that's another uh factor here too though but about the communications genie yeah, there's going to be some images of them in the Oval Office together. I'm not sure anybody cares. You couldn't even hear what they were saying on the reporter's shotgun mics in there. They're kind of looking at the floor. It's a very serious 
tone. If you want to project unity, why not put them out there in the East Room for a news conference? Yeah, I mean, people were describing it as unusual, perplexing, um, you know, almost low key to a point of baffling. And to Rick's point, you know, you have the uh, you have the chancellor traveling with no press. We understand he's doing an interview with CNN that won't even air until Sunday. And so the big question is, of course, why? What is going on? Um, You know, and some of the speculation is, of course, that the chancellor came over here to tell Biden that he's got to really watch the rhetoric. That's uh, ratcheting up in Congress and out of the administration with China, that that is a real concern for Germany and the impact could be dramatic. But, of course, that is all speculation. But I would just note, you know, look at the op ed that Peter Baker, of all people, wrote in the in the New York Times the other day. There is, you know, decreasing support across the board for the effort in Ukraine. And the ambassador made the good point. Is Biden risking under resourcing this war? to the point where it is unwinnable because it is going to drag on too long. That is a big question as we start year two of this thing. What do you think of that idea, Rick? Did Olaf Schultz come here with a message for Joe Biden? You know, he may have. I mean, he's been a a pretty stalwart uh, supporter of the Biden plan uh, as it relates to the Ukraine. And and maybe there are issues at home uh, that are pushing him in a different direction. Certainly, Mm -hmm. there was enormous confusion around this tank issue. And, 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 And it didn't look good that the the NATO uh, forces and the United States couldn't get on the same page repeatedly. So maybe this is a session where they're just getting their messages and their actions aligned so that there's no more public look like there's a split in in NATO. Uh, This is extremely important to Zelensky that there's a unified Europe, unified United States backing his effort in the war and any opening is exploited by the Russians and were in this instance. Rick and Jeannie are with us on a Friday. It's Bloomberg Sound On. Thanks for joining us here on Bloomberg Radio. We also got news late today from the White House that I need to ask you both about. Uh, not not so much about uh, the impact of this, because it appears to be uh, said and done. The, the president had a cancerous lesion removed. Uh, it was from his chest. And this uh, is just being disclosed uh, a couple of weeks after the fact here on, on a Friday afternoon. Uh This is basal cell uh, carcinoma, a common form of skin cancer. His doctor, Kevin O'Connor, issued a letter saying all cancerous tissue was successfully removed. No further treatment uh, necessary here. Jeannie, my question for you is just the way it's rolled out. Was this the right way to do it? Do you do it after the, the news briefing has ended on a Friday? You kick out a letter like this. Obviously, this is not something he's going to be going into treatment for. It, it's a it's a closed event, if you will. Is that well done for the White House communications office. Yeah, you know, it, it's good news for the president. His family, his health seems to be okay. And, mm-hmm. and you know, everything is has been taken care of medically. Politically, this is obviously a fraught time for this to occur. And I think there will be questions raised as to why they waited this long to roll it out, you know, a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, his health is the number one thing. But this is somebody who is on the verge, we think, at least according to his wife, of declaring for a next term. And he, of course, is the oldest president we've ever had. So these are serious issues. I think that they have to really manage this very, very carefully. And I think waiting raises more questions than it's probably worth unless there was a health reason to do it. Rick, I know this might uh, hit close to home for you. Uh, the president's routine physical 
was on February 16th. That's when the cancer uh, was successfully removed, according to the doctor. Was it right to wait until now? You know, probably. Uh, it's kind of hard to second guess this when you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take for the test to come back? It is government health care, you know, so I won't, <laughs> wouldn't give a lot of cre- credence to speed. Uh, but also, look, I, I mean, remember, this is the president of the United States. I, I think it's impressive that they would disclose this the way they've done it. I mean, they, they, we're getting in an era where a lot of politicians don't think they need to talk about their right. taxes or their health care or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so I think the bar is out there that this president is meeting. I don't think it's one of those things they want a big public debate on. So right. I, I wouldn't argue with doing it on a Friday evening. Um, in fact, I probably would have done it Saturday morning. Uh, so uh, I, I just I just don't think unless there's a life uh, threatening condition, uh, why make a big deal out of it? Yeah. But like at least they disclosed it. And it, so it sounds you know, like you're both good with this, though. Like this is probably as well as it could have been handled. Jeannie, am I right? Yeah, I I mean, it is. But I will say, you know, the American public has a right to know. I know what Rick is saying. People don't want to talk about it and when they're in office. But we do have a right to know. It is a big risk to us if the president is not healthy. So there is that reality. Well, you're going to hear a lot more about it on this campaign trail. You better believe the president's health could be issue number one. It's something that came up today at CPAC. Cognitive tests, anyone? That's what Nikki Haley says. We'll bring you to CPAC for more because we're watching so you don't have to. And more with our panel next on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Day two of CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference underway here in Washington, National Harbor to be exact, with a pronounced MAGA presence ahead of the big keynote by Donald Trump this weekend. Today we heard from some hardcore Trump supporters. We also heard from a couple of folks who... Well, at least one of them is running against Donald Trump, maybe two. And the headline on the terminal, we love Trump hecklers berate Haley at conservative gathering. Listen, this is as Nikki Haley is posing for a photograph, signing autographs. We love Trump, they say. Bloomberg's Christian Hall captured it on Twitter. Thank you for that, Christian. You can see it for yourself on the terminal. Uh, This following a day of speeches, and there's still more to come at this point. I think they knock it off. Actually, maybe they are done for the day at this point. The big night is tomorrow and Donald Trump, the keynote. Matt Gaetz uh, opened things up early today. The congressman, uh, of course, from Florida uh, and an interesting uh, take on life. Here he is. Thank you for that warm reception. If you don't mind me saying so, I think vindication looks pretty good on me. Yeah. Uh, Of course, this week he learned federal prosecutors were not going to charge him in a long-running sex trafficking probe. Uh, And why not open your speech with that? Marjorie Taylor Greene taking aim at Ukraine and specifically President Zelensky. This was kind of a recurring theme and sticking with the 
the MAGA trend at this particular CPAC. Listen to the congresswoman from Georgia. And while I'm still committed to saying no money to Ukraine, and that country needs to find peace, not war. Big applause. Standing ovation there. A camera and directly tell Zelensky, you better leave your hands off of our sons and daughters because they're not dying over there. Wow. All right, let's reassemble the panel. We got into some of this yesterday. We have a little more time, uh, and we have Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano uh, on top of it. Uh, more where that came from, I'll, I'll, I'll play you some comments from Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo, both of whom spoke today. Both likely will end up, at least Nikki Haley is, on the presidential campaign trail. Uh, Rick, this CPAC is a little bit different than ones we've seen before. But ever since the Trump phenomenon, it really has become uh, a campaign tool for an individual, uh, not so much the Republican Party. Is that how you see it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's changed a lot. It's uh, sort of surrounded the cult of personality of Donald Trump. Uh, there's no real conservative discussion of issues there. Uh, in fact, the, the idea of calling it conservative is has been disavowed by almost every mainstream conservative, you know, in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, its attendance is really limited to those people who sort of punch their ticket with Donald Trump. In fact, I'm really, you know, I, I'm still scratching my head as to why Nikki Haley, who has talked about this generational change in the party would show up at a at an event uh, where the the head of the event is under incredible scrutiny for yeah. inappropriate behavior and that the entire participant group are committed Trump supporters. Uh, and I, I just it makes no sense to me that she would do this versus some of the other options she had, like attending this, the the uh, Club for Growth event that many of the other presidential bulls are attending at the same time. So uh, it's just an odd pick for me, and I'm not surprised that she was heckled. Well, how about that? As we discussed yesterday, Ron DeSantis, uh, not here. He's at the Club for Growth. Uh, Mike Pence, not here. Kevin McCarthy, not at CPAC. Nikki Haley, though, again, was. And listen to the room as she's speaking. You know, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, some of the others who spoke earlier, including Donald Trump Jr., uh, getting you know massive applause and laughter and so forth, even though the crowd size was quite small. I'm sure I'll get tweets for saying that, but I mean, the pictures are there. Uh, but Nikki Haley... Uh, kind of went through some of the themes that we've heard before and hit this one in particular, which, as you know, is aimed at Donald Trump. Listen to the the lack of of crowd reaction from Nikki Haley. When I launched my campaign, I said every politician over 75 years old should be required to take a mental competency test. Have you seen D.C. lately? Uh. We should start with Joe Biden and we shouldn't stop there. Smattering of applause. Mike Pompeo spoke as well and actually called out the Trump administration. Listen. Every recent administration, Republican and Democrat alike, added trillions of dollars to our debt. That is deeply unconservative. Trump administration, the administration I served, added $8 trillion in new debt. This is indecent and can't continue. Indecent, Jeannie. Uh, I'm not sure where they're trying to go here. Is this actually where you go to 
to draw the line between yourself and Donald Trump now? Yeah, Mike Pompeo speaking truth to power, and it's like crickets out there. Crickets, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very bizarre. And, you know, we also heard from people that we don't talk a lot about, like Perry Johnson, this businessman who's running this long shot campaign. I thought it was just stunning. He said something benign, like, I don't trust Putin. And there was absolute silence in the room. (laughs) I mean, this is where we've gotten to Rick's point and to your point. This is a MAGA crowd. But the problem for the Republican Party is, and so somebody like Nikki Haley speaking to a half-filled ballroom, mm-hmm. this sort of silence that she was met with, or the heckling, which was, yeah, I'm not sure which is worth, is the fact is, is the base of the Republican Party has nowhere to go but with the Republican nominee or stay home. They're going to lose unless they try to reach moderates and independents. And so why she is there when this is all about Trump I heard from people, everything there, even down to the T-shirts, the cups, everything else is all Trump. Why she goes there to seek support is baffling because it's not going to help her win the nomination. And it's certainly not going to help Republicans win in a general election. It's called a vice presidential slot. I don't know. Listen to Mike Pompeo again here, Rick, not calling out Trump by name, but everyone knows what he's talking about. Over the last few years, I've heard some who claim to be conservative excuse hypocrisy by saying something like, well, we're... We're electing a president, not a Sunday school teacher. Mm, That's true. Um, But having taught Sunday school, maybe we could get both. (laughs) It's uh, it's time. It's time for us. It's time for us to make sure we're living out these very things we're asking others to do. Does he want to be seen as the crusader, Rick, who went into the lion's den and stood up to Trump here? I'm, I'm trying to figure out the strategy. Yeah, look, there's a there's there's a strategy behind going into the lion's den, as you say, and and poking the lion and and showing independence uh, and resolve and yeah. gets outlets to cover him because they know they're going to cover somebody there. And at least he's talking about something that nobody else is talking about. Right. And so uh, I, I think so. But but I got to believe there's a better, more positive way to convey your message uh, it, than going to CPAC and sort of being thrown in with the. The batch that's there. Frankly, a day spent in New Hampshire is a much better use of campaign time huh. than than hanging around Washington D.C. at yeah. CPAC. Well, there's a lot to be said for that, Genie. Uh, you know who else is going to be there? It's it's the Trump Bolsonaro uh, double bill, I guess, tomorrow night. And this is something that we asked Senator Rick Scott about. He said he didn't even realize Bolsonaro was was on the rundown. Uh, that too says a bit about the CPAC that we're coming to know, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And we have seen this uh, over and over again the last few years, this hugging of these autocrats and Bolsonaro, a great example of this. And it speaks to this huge division in the Republican Party. At the same time, we are aiding as a country, Ukraine in this war against Russia. You have CPAC cozying up to somebody like Bolsonaro. And this is a real dividing line. But of course, we don't see many members of Congress on the Republican side at CPAC except for maybe Ted Cruz, J.D. Vance, there's been a few of them, none of the leaders. And in fact, Mitch McConnell was really attacked by Rick Scott there yesterday. And of course, even Kevin McCarthy has stayed away. So leaders are staying away. This is not, I think, any more representative of the Republican Party. It's representative of a certain wing of the party and probably losing a lot of the import that it had going back to the time of, say, Ronald Reagan, you know, before and after the years in which CPAC really mattered. Yeah. What does it tell us then, Rick, about the base of support for Donald Trump? Will it be enough to win a primary? 
look, I think it's a challenge for him. I think more people see options to him, the more likely it is that they're going to think that these are positive options, both for electability reasons, but also for leadership reasons. In other words, they they have policies that mirror some of the more positive uh, things that Donald Trump did as president. But without all the baggage, without carrying around these these autocrats, without sucking up to Putin, uh, without saying off-color things from the Oval Office, uh, I, I think America has grown weary of that. And when they realize, uh, certainly within a Republican Party base, that they have options uh, that are as good, if not better, than Donald Trump, then, then they'll probably elect those options. And so I think you're seeing him at his high watermark today, and this campaign will only – uh, create contrast with him and other candidates who have something yeah. else to offer. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Gary Gensler wants to hear from you, the investor, about rewriting the rules on Wall Street. The chair of the SEC says, give us your best advice when it comes to proposed updates to the plumbing, as we say, the plumbing in the markets, from order routing to pricing to disclosures. Would impact a lot of stuff here. He talked about it on Bloomberg TV. Listen. We try to level this playing field because so much of the market now, if you're a working family and you're just trying to invest in the market and you put an order in, it's going not to the lit, transparent uh, market, but it's being routed off to uh, wholesalers in what's called the dark market and trying to level up that competition. So this is a pretty big deal. It could literally change the way some business is done on Wall Street. And I'm so glad to say we're joined by Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons to help us understand it a little bit more. Kaylee has just recently joined us here in Washington. And I'm I'm glad to say you're going to be hearing a lot more from her in the weeks ahead. Kaylee, it's great to have you. The dark market. Most people don't even I mean, at least retail investors don't even know that this exists. Actually, this goes back to a, a series of proposals uh, unveiled in December. And I wonder if you can envision the market and, and, and how it would actually change things if it's adopted. Well, as you say, this is a, a series of proposals. There's four separate rulemakings that the SEC has proposed here. We're talking more than 1,600 pages. Wow. In, in, so this is this is dense. And how many individual investors do you know, Joe, that are worried about the market plumbing, literally the mechanics mm-hmm. of how you trade stocks? But that's what Gary Gensler is essentially saying here, that he wants to make that more transparent because most people generally probably don't know how it works. And yeah. if you could recall back to the meme stock era uh-huh. of several <laughs> years ago when Robin Hood was in the spotlight, all this issue around payment for order flow. <laughs> I know, right? It feels like it was a decade ago and just last month all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but but Gensler's concern here is that these brokers are saying that this trading is free when really it's not because ultimately someone is getting paid because right. Citadel, for example, will take a fee um, – or will will pay Robinhood a fee in order to execute that trade, essentially. So it's about making all of that a bit more transparent. So Gensler says, but it has faced a lot of criticism within the industry in that this is an yeah. overarching overhaul, essentially that he's proposing. He wants to make a lot of changes sure. all at once, and some are concerned about the breadth of that cost to upgrade technology, uh, for example, and potentially just lower volumes for some of these existing players. He makes it feel like we're all kind of getting ripped off, are we? 
It's it's a good question. I mean, in theory, the free the trade is free for you if you're using one of these free trading apps. I, mm-hmm. The question is around whether or not you are adequately informed of that or if you are being misled. That is really what Gensler's concern. I will be very interested to see, because the comments are still open for another couple of weeks, what individual investors actually are concerned about. If, if they, too, see this as problematic or if everybody just wants to enjoy their free trades. What I also yeah. find interesting about this is Gary Gensler has framed this as a need to make modern rules for modern markets because things like E-Trade weren't around more than 20 years ago when some of these rules first came into existence. But in other spaces, like in crypto, he's talking about 1930s era securities laws being a crypto... Uh, being applicable to that market. So it's interesting to see what he wants to modernize and what he does not. I know he's not making a lot of friends with the the whole crypto conversation, though. Could this conversation lead to an end of zero, so-called zero commission trades? It depends on who you ask. Likely, no. It would just mean that the business model of, of yeah. some of these companies like Robinhood would have to be entirely different. Wow. Different and, and profitability is what really ultimately that uh, comes down to. I don't necessarily know if that is what the SEC is trying to achieve, because if it is about the democratization of markets, you do need to give individual investors the ability to trade for themselves, not have to go uh, through an instant institution. So you need both to exist at the same time, in theory, if what you are really uh, wanting to accomplish is putting the power in the hands of the American consumer and investor. I'm not surprised he's actually asking uh, for for people's best advice. And by that, he really means investment firms and brokerage houses, right. I think, rather as opposed to, you know, the the, the retail bros. Uh, but this is a, this is it's so impactful. It's such a big project. And so few people know about it or understand it that you'd think he'd want to put as much sunlight on this now before it actually could be enacted. Yeah, exactly. And, and Chairman Gensler has been very uh, forward facing, I would say. I don't know if anyone has seen his office hours, these highly produced videos that he's putting out to try to explain in more colloquial language, if you will, mm-hmm. what exactly the proposals are here, making it more digestible to people who don't live and breed financial market yeah, structure right. all day, every day. He's got um, a good communications office. Obviously, they know what they're doing with social media. It's highly right? produced. I want to know who his producers are as, as a TV person, Joe, because a lot of it is <laughs> is very impressive. I will say, though, that he has garnered a lot of attention for these things. And there are those uh, on Capitol Hill and elsewhere who have taken issue with the way the SEC is conducting business currently mm. uh, and this idea of regulating mm-hmm. by enforcement. Uh, given how vocal and prominent so much of this is, it hasn't gone unnoticed. She's going to blow the lid off those videos. <laughs> Kaylee Lines, wait for that story, right? Kaylee, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming to see me. Let's do a lot more of this. And it's great to have you in Washington. Bloomberg Financial Regulation Reporter to be formal about it here, host of Bloomberg Crypto. You know Kaylee Lines from Bloomberg TV. She's going to be doing a lot of reporting from the nation's capital now, and we're stronger for it. Let's reassemble the panel. Ginny Shansano and Rick Davis are here, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Of course, last time, guys, we talked about Gary Gensler. It was that last note from Kaylee on how he's you know, not making a lot of friends in, in the, his approach to not regulating crypto or doing so through enforcement. How about this bigger plan for Wall Street, though? This is an individual who's going to leave fingerprints on, it seems, every corner of the market, Jeannie. He can't get this wrong, can he? 
No, he certainly cannot. And, you know, it, it is fascinating how he is trying to reach out. And, and, you know, with your conversation with Kaylee, it's absolutely right. He is doing a great PR job trying to get this out. But I think mm-hmm. the big question is, is really, you know, when you look at the SEC and you look at Gary Gensler, the questions around really whether he has the right and the power and the authorization to do the wide scope and wide ranging sort of engagements that he is trying to do right now. And I think that's something we may in the future see Congress weigh in on. But of course, Congress weighing in on something takes a long time. But you do hear inklings that he may be stepping, overstepping what he should be doing on crypto and otherwise. And that remains a huge challenge. Well, we know he's, again, not the, a lot of people think he's overstepping or, or stepping in the wrong direction when it comes to crypto. How about the old-fashioned stock market, though, Rick? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, if you're a friend of the old-fashioned stock market, you're going to probably love these reforms because he's basically trying to drive, you know, people out of these wholesale brokerages into yeah. the main exchanges. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not buying the, the, the PR Act. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. You know, he's trying to communicate. and He talks a lot in this release about... Uh, wanting to get individual investors. That's who we really care about. Yes, and right. you know, we want them to weigh in on this proposal. What individual investor is going to read 1,600 pages of government legalese and have any chance of knowing how to respond? I mean, it's just the most disingenuous thing I've seen happen in a long time. Uh, just being too cute by half, I think. So well, uh, he's got a lot of explaining to do with individual investors. If they feel like they're being taken, you know, things that they had were being yeah. taken away. Boy, I'll tell you, the videos are cute. I will say, uh, you can try, you'll see them on Twitter if you haven't already. The dark market, my God, save us, Kaylee Lines. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Something important today happened at the White House. President Biden awarded the Medal of Honor. It's always a special event. Today it went to retired Army Colonel Paris Davis for conspicuous gallantry in the war in Vietnam. What a story. You know how this normally goes. The president walks in with the recipient. They are on the stage. Typically, the medal is there uh, waiting for him or her. And then they tell the story. The president told the story today. In the early hours of June 18, 1965, that's where we're going here. With Paris Davis following a 10-mile march the night earlier. They're deep in the jungle of... Bong San. Then Captain Davis and his team came under attack by the Viet Cong. President Biden says Davis rallied his team to fight back and all of his brothers in arms became injured. They were all wounded, all taken bullets or shrapnel. Davis carried one up a hill. He was shot while doing so, then went back down to help another, saved him. But his medic was still wounded and alone. 
That's when a rescue helicopter landed, and President Biden picks up the story from there. Captain Davis, commander, gave him a direct order. Get on board. Davis' response was just as direct. Sir, he said, I'm just not going to leave. I still have an American out there. Unsure if he was still alive, Captain Davis began to plan how he would get his medic. Just the day before, the medic had found out he was the good news. He was a new father. His wife had given birth to the first child. Captain Davis was going to give him a chance to see his baby boy. He pinpointed the medic's position and began crawling toward him, with gunfire and grenades still exploding around him. When he got there, the medic still alive asked him, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Captain Davis said, not before me. Still fending off the Viet Cong assailants, Captain Davis hauled his medic up the hill. And nearly 20 hours, nearly 20 hours later, after that bugle first rang, Captain Davis had saved each one of his fellow Americans. Every single one. And so we thank Colonel Paris Davis. A Green Beret who went on to command the 10th Special Forces Group, he retired as a colonel in 1985, a pioneering black man. He received the Silver Star and Purple Heart for his actions that day and now carries the Medal of Honor. It's pretty incredible. I wish we had more time with our panel. Rick and Jeannie are here. And of course, Rick, anytime we see something like this happen at the White House, it stops us in our tracks here in Washington. Now, this is the best part of being in Washington is that you get an up close sense of this kind of pomp and circumstance around America's greatest heroes and uh, people who live by the code duty honor country are celebrated in moments like this. And it reminds us all of our own mortality, but yeah. also uh, courage of all Americans. He waited 60 years to be recognized, Jeannie. That's right. He, it was not only a recognition of what he did, but also the battle to get him the medal, which was quite a feat in and of after itself. After they lost his paperwork twice. After they lost his paperwork. And here's somebody <laughs> who committed himself afterwards to civil rights and founded a newspaper in Virginia. And yeah. um, it's a remarkable, remarkable story and obviously well-deserved after a long time. You're here. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, thank you for a great conversation as always. I've mentioned it a couple of times this hour. We're going to a new time slot next week. That means we're all free for cocktails starting Monday, right? Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Washington Time, sound on. Now two hours long starts Monday. I'm dragging Rick and Jeannie with me, and I hope you too. Subscribe to the podcast and find us live here on Bloomberg Radio, the fastest two hours in politics. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.